You're listening to Rethinking It, conversations about changing our minds. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Stephanie Kerlick, a mindset and self-care coach reminding you to be kind to yourself and to take up space in your own life. Rethinking It is all about change. Through intimate chats between just you and me, as well as honest and thought-provoking conversations with some of my favorite people, we'll explore how our behaviors and beliefs have changed over time. And as we're looking back at the moments and experiences of our lives, we'll also forgive ourselves for not knowing more or doing better. Here's the thing, we're usually just doing the very best that we can in any given moment, and everything changes, including us. Even in the moments when it seems impossible or we think we have it all figured out, We can change our thoughts, our actions, our choices, and our inner dialogue. But sometimes we need someone else to remind us that we can. This podcast is your reminder that you can continue to grow and learn and rethink it all. Welcome to the show, Lisa. I'm really excited and honestly kind of nervous to explore this topic of grief with you. Um, And I know it's going to be, I think, a nourishing and enriching and interesting conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I think so too. It's, it always feels a little tender, the topic of grief, but most of the time when we end up talking about it and being open about it, I feel there is this really nourishing element to it. And so I hope that that kind of unfolds here today too. Yeah, and it was part, uh, there were many motivations into why I wanted to explore this topic on the podcast, Um, but part of it was also a selfish motivation um, because I really am pushing myself through this podcast to really encourage all of us, myself included, to rethink all of our beliefs and our actions about um, you know the way we experience life and the stories we've told ourselves, and this is a topic um, that I haven't really done a lot of that own my own personal work. So I'm, I'm assuming this is really going to be probably a jumping off point for me into really exploring this more deeply. So thank you for being willing to have this conversation. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, and so I really would like to start um, to just get to know a little bit more about your work um, and what led you to really want to focus on helping people explore trauma and grief um, and your own personal connection to this work? Mm -hmm. So uh, a couple years ago, I actually started out as a psychic and like energy reader. And what I noticed in all of my readings that most people had some sort of repressed, unexpressed, kind of ignored grief and trauma that was always showing up. And what I realized is that when we create containers where people can really be fully in their grief without feeling like they need to make it smaller or, oh, I'm just fine, or kind of mm, around it, that it can really create a lot of healing, not just personal healing, but also for the people around us, for culture, society, because it really has this element of shame to it, um, I feel a lot of times. And really how I got so personal with my own grief was when um, first my great-grandma died, and that was really, really hard. Um, 
And she was just the sweetest woman. She was like the rock in the family. And so when she passed away, it was really, you could feel a void, a hole in the family and yeah, our lives. And I got really kind of um, invited into grief when a couple years later I got divorced and I didn't see it coming. And so it really shook me to the core. And a couple months after that, like I really was so deep in my grief. I was so ashamed of how deeply I felt this grief that I realized that there's not enough support around grief. I looked everywhere and I found that there's not a lot like really truly nourishing support around grief. It's like this thing of, oh, you'll get over it. Plenty of fish in the sea. Time heals all wounds. All those like kind of cliche things that people say, Mm -hmm. but that really don't feel true in the moment when you're really in it. That just feels like a whole lot of just messed up bullshit. Mm -hmm. And so I was really like, okay, I'm going to give my grief my all because I want to see what can actually come out of grief. And it felt really strange at the time to make that decision because I was suffering really deeply. Like I cannot put any other word than suffering there. Even though it sounds to people who've never been grieved or allowed themselves to grieve really dramatic, it is really, yeah, that's kind of what it felt like, suffering. It was just everything felt really hopeless. Everything felt like it wasn't going to recover. Like my life wasn't going to recover. My heart wasn't going to recover. And I was just like, okay, if this is it, like then I might just go all in. And so that's basically what I did. And so for like the last three years and a couple months, I have been really giving it my all and come out of it and riding the waves of it. And They've just been helping other people too on their grief journeys. And yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's a really brave thing to do for yourself and then also to be willing to guide other people through because there were a few, um, you know, words that sort of stuck out to me in that that explanation and shame was a huge one of those. Um, and, And the way I think we often think about grief in, in our society is it's sort of transactional. Like that, that time heals all wounds. Like mm-hmm. you suffered a loss, whatever that might be. And then you grieve for a very short period of time. And then you have to like suck it up and move on and, and, and almost pretend like the loss never happened. And mm-hmm. that, that has, that's certainly been my experience with loss and grief. And I think yeah. Uh, that's what I've observed around us. And so to be able to take a step back from that and say, you know what, I think I'm really gonna sit with this and allow myself to really go there, that that's really inspiring and really scary and must have also felt incredibly overwhelming for you in the moment because you don't know what's on the other side of that. Exactly. I think it was like a little bit of the rebel in me was like, oh, I see how everybody else is doing it and everybody's grieving. Okay. But after the grief, they're like the official grieving period is over. Like that's like totally not a thing, but like when mm-hmm. society says like, okay, you're done now, people are not better. They're actually right. worse. They're like, they're not, they're not getting anywhere. And I was like, I don't want to be that. And I think sometimes that is kind of what it takes with like really tender things to see like, oh, this is how everybody else is doing it. And where are, getting, where are they getting? Like, do I want to go there too? Or do I want to just see what's there for me? And so, I mean, there was so much overwhelm. Like you said, I think it's just 
grief can like trigger all of the things. Like I really believe that when grief arrives in your life, everything that's kind of needed healing will come up. And I think that's the overwhelming part because when you feel like, okay, I lost somebody, this is the grief I'm having. And then you realize later, oh my God, all of these things I thought I had healed or ignored or didn't really happen or didn't have an effect on me come bubbling up to the surface and there you are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think this idea of, of stored grief and trauma, it's something um, that I am and am especially interested in because I deal with a lot of chronic illness. And so I've really been exploring this connection between the mind, body, and spirit and, and how not that, you know, unhealed trauma from my childhood caused me to have this chronic illness. I have a genetic condition, so yeah. I, it's not a cause and effect, but really exploring like what, what is the role that this stored trapped grief is having in my actual physical healing? Because mm-hmm. I really do believe that it does get, get stuck in our bodies yeah. and in ourselves and we're not always aware of it. And like you said, something maybe bigger happens where it feels appropriate, socially appropriate to experience grief. And then all of these other things you didn't even know you were carrying around with you start to come up. And all of a sudden you're trying to heal a lifetime of grief and loss and trauma. Um, and that, that can be definitely, I think, a very challenging path to navigate, especially on your own, which is why I think work like yours is, is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's a scary place to go. Yeah, and I think I'm so with you on this whole thing that it repressed grief or repressed trauma or some you don't even know you have really gets stuck in the body in this way that when a big thing happens, when like a re-traumatization happens or a big loss of whatever that might be, it can really like trigger this like inner fighting. Like I've really realized that with my clients and with myself that when we have a re-traumatization or like something that triggers our stored up grief trauma, that it really feels like inside our body is fighting our body. Mm-hmm. Like there's really like total tense feeling when you feel like you can never really truly rest because your cells, your whole energy body is fighting against your physical body and the other way around. And I can really just like from my experience, this has really been so huge also taking that into account, not just the heart or the mind, but also the, the body, the physical vessel for mm-hmm. all of our experiences. Yeah. So what do you think has, has led us to being in this state where we, we, just, re- we just like repress, we suppress, we mm-hmm. avoid it all, um, and then at some point, many of us will hit a breaking point. But what, what do you think has led us down this path where it's not acceptable to really sit with it and and actually heal it, it's just better to numb it out or pretend it's not there and just go back to normal. Mm -hmm. I think it's helplessness. Mm. And I think that's something nobody wants to be, helpless. Right. We are supposed to be strong and have our lives figured out. But I really think that helplessness plays a huge part in this, even growing up when, I mean, at least this was my experience and a lot of people I talked to, they're always like, yeah, when something terrible happened, you were really sad and you went to your parents or your caretakers or your person of trust and you said, oh, I'm feeling really feeling this loss, like so, so sad. There would usually be like a cliche response of, 
time will heal this wound. Oh, just go read or not now, something like that. And that I feel really teaches you as a kid, like, okay, so if I do this here, if I show, oh, I'm really, really sad. I'm having this huge loss experience. It's not okay. Like I will not be accepted or understood. And as a kid, that's like the most important thing, like to right. belong, because that's how you're safe. And so I really think that's kind of how the whole thing starts. And then when we grow up, because we don't learn these skills, we do the same to others because we don't know what to do with grief. So we're like, oh, okay, let's kind of move on or like talk about something else. Or when we're with, with ourselves even, we're like, okay, seeing this grief show up in my life, I don't know what to do. I'm going to distract myself. Mm-hmm. And at some point I feel that distraction leads to nowhere. At some point there's just the block and that's it. And then you have to basically turn around and phase yourself. And so how do you even begin that process? <laughs> if you, you have a lifetime of this stored up grief and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you can no longer hide from it anymore. It, it, every time you look at yourself, you're seeing it in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, the, that's the key word mirror. Because mm. what I've noticed is that when we are in grief, we often feel like we don't have anywhere to turn to. Nobody's really listening, paying attention. And so looking in the mirror and telling ourselves or our image in the mirror, like how badly we are feeling, how much sadness there is, how much we're feeling angry or whatever it is, whatever the emotion might be, is to really have a place where we are witness in a safe space. And for example, we really easily judge ourselves on the inside when we're just having that conversation with ourselves, like, oh, just get over it. It's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Move on. But when we witness and see our own pain in our own face, we are way less likely to judge ourselves so harshly because we can see we're human. So we will really recognize the, the sadness, the pain, the loss, the hopelessness in our faces, in our eyes. And so there is this barrier and there is um, more of a container to be really kind to ourselves. And the whole thing with the mirror, I think, is that it's really scary because it is this thing of, oh my God, like, who am I? Like, a lot of people can not really look at themselves because it is a very revealing place to be. And so beginning, I would always begin with the smallest doable step. So like, not to feel like, I'm going to stand in front of this mirror now for 50 minutes and I'm going to tell myself all the things, but to just be like, maybe, okay, for 30 seconds a day, I'm just going to look at myself in the mirror and just say, wow, this is awkward, but I'm willing to be here and to listen to what I have to say and then see what shows up, what doesn't, and really not going over a limit for yourself. I think that's really important. And like for trauma resolution, for grief resolution is to really respect your capacity on any given day. I think that, yeah, that's really critical because I think we have this mentality of either we're going to avoid it completely or we're going to go all in. Yeah. And both are not really the best approach. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I really, I like that um, approach a lot because it is sort of meeting yourself where you are in any moment. And, and with any loss, any grief, any trauma, that's going to vary from time to time yeah. and, and knowing that that's normal because what I've experienced and what I've witnessed in, in those around me around grief is it, we feel like 
there's like the containers of it. And so you experience the moment of the loss, the grief, whatever it is. And then there's whatever, depending on what that loss was, there's like an acceptable grieving period. Even Mm -hmm. in the workplace, you get a certain number of bereavement days, depending on what the loss was and what that person's relationship to you was. Mm -hmm. And then you are supposed to go back to business as usual. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you're, you know, I, I feel like sometimes when I, when I've been going through this, I felt like, okay, well, the world says it should be over now and I shouldn't be still grieving. I shouldn't still be heartbroken. I shouldn't still be fixated on it. So I guess I'm just going to pretend and not really allowing that space for I'm grieving today and tomorrow maybe I'm laughing. I'm crying right now and in five minutes I could be rolling around on the ground laughing and that's all part of it and okay. And I don't know that we often, and this isn't a conversation I think we generally have a lot, but we definitely, I don't feel like there's the permission and the awareness that grief is a ongoing process, not a thing to just like check off, oop, did it, done, move on. Yeah, I think that is like a thing that is so important to remember. When we're in like that deep grief phase, we feel like it's going to stay forever. And when the first time we come out of it, we're like, done, okay, made it. And then we're like, oh God, there's a wave. And to just kind of give ourselves grace because like you said, there is this thing of, oh my God, I might be laughing right now. And then in five minutes I might be crying or the other way around. And it's totally okay because as humans, we are built in this way that we can have contradictory experiences really close together. We can hold them. That's why we are human and we have so many feelings and emotions. And there's really this thing of both. And like, it can feel both really sad and really happy at the same time. Like somehow that works and it's, truer than saying I'm just feeling this or I'm just feeling that and so yeah well and do you find that um especially highly sensitive people of which there are many of us Mm -hmm. um, avoid the grieving because they're simply afraid that once it starts how is it ever going to end like once I open that floodgate I I am gonna feel everything and and I don't have the physical or mental capacity to hold all of that. And mm-hmm. so and and then how do you help someone navigate that? Mm, yeah, I think that is like that's such a big point. Like the being highly sensitive, how that can really affect the way we're grieving. I think what can be really helpful when we are feeling this, like, oh my God, if I open this box, oh my God, what's gonna come out? Can I handle it? Can I still live? and do all the things I have to do in my life. And I think what can be really sweet and can kind of feel really safe is to be like, okay, I have this container. Maybe it's the container is time that you're saying, okay, I have, I don't know, 30 minutes to open this box just to peek inside a little bit or to say, okay, I'm going to talk to this friend and that will give me an hour where that's my container for my grief or my whatever might come out after the grief, after I open the door, open the box or to have a container with a therapist or a coach or a walk in the woods, whatever the container uh, might be that feels most safe, most aligned, most alive too, to really just be like, okay, this is the container and this is how I can really feel my way through my grief without losing kind of touch with everything else I have to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. And, and I think it's a, a much more manageable approach. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if it, it's one without guidance, like working with someone like you, that you, we don't naturally go there. At least I don't naturally mm-hmm. go there. 
Um, and so being able to sort of navigate and know, like, I get to set the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Change them as my heart desires or, or need. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think is really critical, but it also takes a lot of, of comfort and trust with yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's why a lot of us avoid our feelings because we don't, we don't trust that we're even entitled to them. We don't trust that we're going to be strong enough to handle them. And so it's just so much easier to just avoid it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That you know that you're saying that. I just like remember that so much about myself when I was really like, my God, who am I to like feel this deeply in this really real way? Like there's really this hesitant hesitation around like, oh my God, okay. I have all these feelings. Is it okay for me? Do I have permission to feel them, to live them? to see where they will lead me. And yeah, that just, I think that was so on point that you said it. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes back to a point you mentioned earlier is that we judge our grief so much and, and then we get trapped in that comparison. Like who am I to really be heartbroken over X when someone else is experiencing Y and that's so much worse than what I'm experiencing. And so you know, get that permission and and letting go of that comparison, I think is probably a really challenging thing to do. I know I certainly get caught up in it. Um, And it's also just part of sort of how we commonly speak to each other. Like we don't want, if someone shares something vulnerable, it's in our nature to just try and move on or solve it and not say, that must be really hard. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, but at least you're, you know, at least you're alive or at least, at least, you know, you'll have another relationship again, or, oh, you can find another job. Like we just want to move on from it. And then that's just reinforcing that message that you mentioned that we are getting as, as children, like just, it's not safe or okay to explore it. And, and then who am I to even feel this way? Yeah. It's like this whole thing. Like the helplessness often comes out as don't really have time, don't know what to say, so I'll fix it. I will kind of brush over it or I will say something really mean. That's kind of like the four ways I've noticed how people like interact with grief or trauma when they're really helpless. Mm. It's actually to be like, oh, just push through, just get over it or don't have time right now or really this thing of, you know, like, uh, at least you are alive, at least, you know, you're young or whatever, you know, those right. just, uh, sentences are. I really just feel like that's such like a way of how people are just so helpless. And I think sometimes just knowing how helpless people really are in these situations can help you as the receiver of these like sentences to be like, okay, actually that's just their helplessness. That doesn't really say anything about my grief or how, if I'm too much or if I'm not enough or whatever that might be, it's really just more with them when we can like really see and have awareness around their helplessness or that these might be ways of how people display their helplessness. Yeah, I I think that is really critical, especially in in something like grief and loss because it's such a vulnerable topic and we all have so much baggage around it. Um and as you mentioned, so many of us have so much stored mm-hmm. junk that we're carrying around with us. So someone shares something vulnerable with you you know, I, I've certainly experienced this where I'm like, oh, uh, 
if I go there with them, I, it's going to, I'm going to have yeah. to go there for myself and I'm not, that doesn't feel safe for me. And so yeah. I can't support that person right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it also just then leads you to feel more shame as a receiver of, of that grief. And yeah. And then neither parties are really able to heal. Um, so if you are the receiver of, of a loved one's grief or, uh, you know, how do you also navigating your own experiences, be able to, with grace and, and kindness, mm-hmm. be supportive, but also have your own boundaries? I think the most important thing is no matter if you are the one who wants to share her grief or their grief, or if you are the one who is receiving somebody else's, is to really be like, this is kind of what I can offer you right now. For example, if somebody's in really deep grief and you, there's a lot going on for you, you can say, hey, today I really, my mind, I just don't have the space. I'm really sorry, but I have time. Like I can, can't, I can like put you in into my heart space, into my mind space for tomorrow for an hour. And then I'm really here. I'm listening. I'm going to be fully available. Or you can be like, oh, you know what? Let's have like this much time. I don't have um, emotional capacity right now to go any deeper than 10 minutes, for example. Or if you are the one who's experiencing grief to be like, hey, this is kind of what I would need. I would just need like 20 minutes of you just listening without needing to fix. Or can you just hold my hand? Can you just text me a couple of times a day to tell me that you're thinking about me? That would really mean the world. Just to really be really clear what you need and what you can offer. Really respecting your, really believing your needs are worthy in this circumstance, in this moment in the season of your life and to really not I mean not take it personally that sounds so harsh but to really be like okay they have their stuff too Mm. and I have my stuff and that's totally okay that we all have our stuff to really kind of take the pressure of yourself to be like this person can't meet my needs it must be they are wrong just be like okay they might have their stuff I have other people to turn to and most of all I have myself like, this is something that I notice a lot is this thing that, oh my God, some, nobody can listen to me. I'm all alone. Where is this grief going to go? Then it either goes like inward and we just stuff it down or we have these outbursts. And, you know, what can help with that is to really just have this mirror container again to be like, if nobody else can witness me, I'm not going to leave myself. I'm still going to make time for myself. I will hold this container if I need to. I will talk to myself really kindly. And I might cry and I will witness that too. Wow. I think that that's really powerful um, mm-hmm. because when you are suffering, you do feel like you, it can be very isolating and you don't always feel like, you know, people m- might not have the time or space where you mm-hmm. don't feel like you deserve to reach out. And so you mm-hmm. do feel very alone. And so yeah. that, that huge reminder that you have yourself and we are so much stronger than we think. Mm-hmm. And so what if we sort of showed up for ourselves and our own grief and not to say that we don't connect and, and, and share and reach out when we need people, but also not to forget that we have ourselves. That's yes. huge. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that especially if we, we feel like the person has left us or the pet has left us or the job has left us, we often feel like this person, even if they died or if the pet died, something must have happened why they left me. And so a lot of times we can have this, almost this need to leave ourselves as well, because we think there's something inherently wrong with us. 
And so sometimes we just need to like kind of steer in the opposite direction and being like, there's everything right with me. And to really not leave ourselves and not abandon ourselves when we most need ourselves and our, um, not support, but our own presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I think is such an important point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've read um, you share about how grief is an invitation. Um, mm-hmm. and I would love to explore that a little bit because I really think that's turning grief on its head because it's something yeah. <laughs> oftentimes we think that grief is, is a rejection or something that, like you just said, that happened to us because mm-hmm. of something we did. But, but to think about it as an invitation is a really interesting reframe. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the thing where people are like, uh, wait, what? It's an invitation. Are you kidding? Yeah. I mean, it's a hard thing, honestly, to wrap your head around, which is why I definitely wanted to, to dig into it with you. Yeah. It's like that thing that everybody's like, when they're really in it, they're like, nah, not seeing any invitations here. It's all just rejection. All the doors are closed all by myself. I have no idea where this is going. But what I've really noticed is that it's really more, it's like this in this divine perspective that grief is an invitation from your future self to grow into the person who you're supposed to become. And to really feel like there is this higher divine power to life, to have a little more trust in it. And I just really know that my own invitation for grief was to just come out of like self-sabotage, to come out of abusive relationships that I was in, like patterns that I was so in that I couldn't even see until the grief really hit me and to really live a life that was more fully me and aligned with who I truly wanted to be and was. And in my client's life, there's like so many things where later we're like, wow, look at how how far you've come in these couple of months of working and like really healing and going into this grief. And then somehow, I really don't know how, but there is this magical moment where all of a sudden the invitation becomes so clear. Everything is somehow starting to make sense. That even when people pass away and we feel like, oh, death, like death, we can't explain, we can't make sense of it. That somehow months down the road, maybe years, however long it might take, all of a sudden we realize what we were being invited to through the loss of this person, through passing of this or that. And I really think that reframing it and just believing, having faith and trusting that even in the darkest night of the grief, that it will still lead us somewhere where we're meant, where we're supposed to go in our soul, that like our soul is kind of calling us home in this way. That's how I like to view it and hold it in my heart when like somebody's really deep in their grief to really just be like, they have this inherent plan for their life, for healing this within them. They really have so much trust in every single person's evolution on this planet and that our souls really know where to go. And that no matter how painful something is, that we will get where we need to go in order to see things that we couldn't have seen before. I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it because 
we can't avoid grief. We're all going to experience it. And yet we all think somehow we shouldn't or it's shameful Mm -hmm. and we have to hide it Mm -hmm. um, or avoid it. And so looking at it through that lens of an invitation, it's like, yes, of course, I'm going to experience grief at some point in my life. This is just, it's unavoidable for all of us, no matter how hard we try. Mm -hmm. But how can I allow it to guide me, heal me, invite me to look at other unexplored areas? Because the alternative is, is what we talked about before. I just let it seep into my cells and carry it around with me. And then you're prolonging your suffering. Um, because you haven't allowed yourself the space to to see where it's calling you and and where you can go from there. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. What I've noticed is that, like the younger the generation is, so I really feel like this generation and like people who are in their teens now, there is this thing. It's kind of like inherited family trauma, inherited family grief, because for a lot of the older generations, they went through through like so much really, really hard stuff. Mm-hmm. There never was any space to grieve. So when somebody from like probably like 35, 40 younger gets a trigger for grief or for trauma, it is way more intense than they think is appropriate because we are genetically through epigenetics, through like all these different things, we are trying to finish and resolve our family's grief as well. And this is something that I know a lot of people don't want to hear because they're like, I just kind of want to be done with my parents or like with my family stuff or I've healed this. But what I've really realized is that when we feel really, really overwhelmed in grief, we feel like, wow, this is kind of out of proportion for the thing I am grieving. It can really be because epigenetically we have inherited all the grief that was never processed and it will show up for as long as it needs to in order to be resolved and really felt. Yeah, I, I really do believe that, but it's also incredibly overwhelming to believe oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not only are you healing your own grief from this, whatever triggered this moment, but then you're also trying to heal generational grief. Yeah. Uh, so where do you go with that belief? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I'm really like, in this, I have this deep belief that we have everything, that there's a time for everything. So not feeling like, oh my God, okay, this is my trigger right now and I'm feeling all this grief, but I really don't have the capacity to like heal any family stuff right now. To really that we're fully, that's fully okay, that we have full permission to be like, to the energetic world, to the universe, to be like, not right now. Mm. And to like really be like, that's like my boundary right now. And to then maybe find soft ways to kind of enter into the world of like generational trauma, generational grief. How do we heal that? How can I heal that in my life? And to really just be more curious than terrified. And I find a lot of times when we're really overwhelmed, we feel that we don't have the space or the permission to say no, that we cannot ask really deep questions that are really on our hearts. And so I really think that the two things, if we give ourselves permission to say no and to pay, like, place boundaries or put boundaries into place when we're feeling overwhelmed, and to also ask really questions that are on our heart about our like, family's grief, what we've been through, and to really be 
um, yeah, soft around it and not to feel like there's, there are these harsh rules of how I have to do it or if I don't do this now, it will fail. I will never feel any different to kind of take ourselves out of that feast or famine, all or nothing mode. Yeah, I, I love the words that you're using to describe all of this because <laughs> Thanks. being, you know, being curious, approaching it with softness. I've heard you use tender a lot um, mm-hmm. in your writing and, and certainly on Emily's episode of, of Connected Her podcast. Yeah, led me to you, uh, <laughs> because I think that is really it. Just is a much more nourishing, realistic approach to it, and it, it's counter to how we approach a lot of things, especially emotional things. Yeah, uh, and so I really, it's really empowering to be reminded that that we do get to determine how we proceed through anything. But in something like grief, we get to set, set the rules for ourselves. And so, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not ready to go there right now. Like being honest and just saying that to ourselves, to a therapist, to a coach, to a friend, we're entitled to say that. It doesn't mean we're never going to go there. Like that, that's a hugely like aha moment for me mm-hmm. um, is that I get to call the shots. And, and instead of having this terror um, or this avoidance what if i just allowed myself to be curious and see mm-hmm. where that leads me and trust that i have the capacity to hold whatever does come up um yeah yeah cuz i think there's so much so much in grief that is overwhelming that feels like we're powerless but to actually really be like wait a second i can always kind of be like no this is boundary right now i can't go there right now and to like let our emotions know, like sometimes actually saying this to our emotions to be like, don't have time right now. Or like, this is a no right now. And I will tend to you at this and this time to really give, like really make sure that for ourselves, we don't leave the emotions. Like we're not abandoning them, but we're just giving them kind of, because sometimes our emotions are like children. They run a little wild. And then we just sometimes <laughs> say, okay, let's everybody take a deep breath. And <laughs> Let's talk to you. I will talk to you at this time in this way. That'll be great to really feel like, okay, we are taken care of. Because as children, when we have these really safe containers for different experiences, it makes the whole nervous system relax. It doesn't feel so out of control and like, I can't handle it. Because that's the thing that really, when we are trying to heal grief or trauma, is we don't want to get into the space of, I can't handle it, because then it's been too much. Right. So rather going really, really slow and like basically one drop at a time to see how much we can, how much we have the capacity to handle. I think that's so important to remember and to be like sovereign around, to be like, no, I can't handle this right now. I can't handle one more drop or to be like, today I can handle four drops of this. Like, it's good. I can do it. And to really just be really honest with ourselves and to be like, okay, this is what I can do today might be different tomorrow to have that fully be okay because I think as humans we're trying to be so perfect all the time that we forget to be human right forget that we are really you know we're we're feeling like this one day and then we're feeling like that another day to just be like that's actually totally cool and that makes me me you you and that makes us really magical and powerful and how, how do you though 
do that. So set those, those boundaries for yourself and say, you know what, I can only handle one drop today and not cross the line of numbing or avoiding when really you could probably handle three drops. You just don't believe that you can or you just don't, it doesn't feel safe. And so, you know, walking that, that fine line of, of being tender with yourself, being gentle, but also not then just avoiding it altogether because that seems easier. Mm-hmm. I think there's like this total myth around numbing and distraction, all these things, because like in grief, I really think there is a time and place for numbing and distraction and like fully like being busy mm. because we need our nervous systems to not be on high alert all the time. Yes. So sometimes like numbing can just be like the best thing you could ever do for yourself. And I think this is like, you know, as perfectionists, there's like highly sensitive people who want to get it right so badly. Of course. And we feel like, oh my God, if we like, if we don't do any work or like healing on this today, totally failed. So I really think that like being like, okay, you know what? I cannot take this today. Like if you feel it in your body, you're like, oh my God, if I would like, if I'm imagining right now that I will have to, or that I'm going to journal about my grief or I'm going to dance or any of the things that are connected, how I could express my grief and your whole body just feels like, ugh, like tight or like you're feeling like you're, you're leaving your body or like something's not quite safe. You don't feeling, you're not feeling balanced or you're feeling really cold in your hands or your feet. That might just be a sign that today is the day to numb and to give yourself permission to numb. And to really see that numbing is such a gift on some days because sometimes we just really need to rest and check out a bit. And I think this is like something that, I don't know, feels like a lot of places, a lot of people, a lot of books get wrong about grieving. Like, holy, my God, we need a break sometimes. And it is good to take a break. It is good to rest. It's holy to rest. It's sacred to be like, can't do this today. And if numbing will give you the rest of your mind that you need, then please go, go for it. Like all the power to you. Yeah. I thank you so much for, for reminding us this because I feel like um, there's so much shame wrapped around <sighs> in needing to distract yourselves because we should, it, it, you can't win either way. You're, you should be over it, but you also should be strong enough to handle it. Um, and so if you, and this could be anything. So, you know, where, where my mind goes when I think about this is just how I move through life with a debilitating chronic illness is there are Mm -hmm. days where I just can't deal with it. I can't process it. I can't think about how much pain I'm in. Mm -hmm. And so I just need to Netflix and just like zone out. And, and I often have this internal dialogue and, 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 battle with myself of, well, then I'm not really strong enough, or I should be like this super in touch with my emotions person, and I'm stronger than this. But like you said, sometimes we, our nervous system cannot take any more Mm -hmm. trauma. And so if you just have to watch the housewives and zone out and, (laughs) and uh, like you said, more power to you, because that's how you survive. And that's how you Mm -hmm. can sort of rest up and get the strength to then deal with the four drops tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But this rest and, and, um, I just, um, I shared a post on Instagram yesterday, sort of, I'm rethinking 
um, screen time because there's a lot of, of um, airplay right now about how we are too addicted to our phones, which yes, we are. Um, <laughs> but in sort of shame around the amount of time you spend on your phone. And, and this is something that I've really been struggling with because yes, I spend a higher than average time on my phone, but there are many days where I can't get out of bed or I can't interact with anyone but my dog and my boyfriend because they live in the house with me. And mm-hmm. so being able to numb out or connect or find inspiration through my phone is sometimes the only way I can manage. And so I should be grateful that I have that instead mm-hmm. of feeling such shame and I, I need to you know, put my phone down. Well, then I'm just sitting in bed by myself. And oh, there are moments yeah. where that's right and moments where that's actually more harmful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, totally. And I think there's like, and like, there's this thing that I like to call a storm season. And it's basically, it, it's not really a season. It can be a day, it can be an hour, it can be weeks, it, it could be a year, totally. It's like there's this moment when you feel like, oh my God, I'm in the, in the eye of the storm. Everything is chaotic. And all I need to do is be on my phone to be, have like a moment of quiet. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this like season, the storm season is really like the permission giver to go on your phone or to, to numb out with Netflix or to, you know, totally drown out any of the outside noise. So we are not aware of this raging storm around us all the time. And the raging storm can be like so many different things. It can, could be grief. It could be chronic illness. It could be trauma, whatever it is. And sometimes we just need that storm to fade into the background for a moment. And then we can bring it closer again. And then we're like, okay, I actually need some distance here again to really let ourselves have that space and believe in our resilience enough and believe in our body enough to tell us what we can do and what we can handle and process. So I think it's like really beautiful like you're saying, you know, some days that's just it. You just want to like, you know, you just need to be in bed and you, the phone's helping you stay feeling connected and inspired and all these things. I think that is so, such a huge point. Because having this shame around using the phone or numbing out or doing this too much or this not enough is like culture, like the society's way of trying to keep us small, trying to keep us in this weird box that honestly no one fits into. Mm-hmm. And when we are just allowing ourselves to numb out or maybe even like totally rephrase numbing out into self-care or mm-hmm. you know really listening in and to just really give ourselves the permission to do that we will we are bigger than the box we are giving ourselves permission to step beyond what people think we should be doing and that is always you know rising we are rising we are growing more into ourselves when we are listening to ourselves well and it goes back to the point that you made in in getting curious the only way to know what you need in this moment is to ask yourself. And we don't, it, we're just not in the habit of like, okay, what can I, you know, what's going to be nourishing to my soul and my mind and my body right now? Can I, you know, should I dance out my grief? Should I journal? Should I go for a walk? Should I just, you know, color? Like, should I, mm-hmm. can I go there? Or would it be better if I do something that's going to take my mind off of it. If I just go back to work or sort of yeah. go through the motions to protect myself a little bit, mm-hmm. that all takes the, the space 
to actually ask ourselves and then listen to the answer. Like we can hear the answer, but we don't always agree with the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, then trusting that, that whatever that sort of gut hit was is what you probably need most in this moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then sometimes even asking ourselves the question, like what would feel the most neutral right now? Mm. Not even like, cause some days I feel like there is like, you don't feel like you have the capacity to like even go into like nourishment right. or positivity. So sometimes just like being like, okay, what would feel the most neutral right now? I love if that. I, you know, like got a coffee and just walked around or I just sat by the street or if I just placed the, my hands on my thighs, like whatever it is, like the smallest thing that would feel kind of neutralizing right now that would take you out of spinning like into high or into low, like high meaning like where you feel like, oh my God, I'm so deeply sad. Like my whole body is shaking. I'm crying. I cannot stop. Or if you're if low, that could be like, I'm feeling nothing. And like, I don't know how I'm ever going to feel anything. Just be like, what would feel neutralizing to either, either side of the spectrum right now? To like bring yourself back to like a baseline where your nervous system can operate from that feels more stable and safe and where your heart and mind can also just find a moment of ah, breath. I love that question so much. <laughs> um, and, and it's counterintuitive because we often, oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we have, it, ha- we, it should be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to just say what would feel most neutral right now, I, I, sometimes I think that is probably the best and only question to answer yeah. ask yourself. And I, I honestly have never, never thought to do that. I live in sort of the extremes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, I think that's such a healing question. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I mean, I was in that space for so long where I was like, if I'm feeling really bad right now, how can I make myself feel better? Feel better, right. But sometimes better is not the most or the healthiest or most or the option we can actually fulfill. And then we feel like we're falling short. So sometimes just like this neutral base, it's like, I reached it. I, this is like something I can actually do. Whew, like feeling relieved yeah. around that, just feeling like I am good enough. Like I am enough. I'm doing the neutral thing. Like well, that is I, so valuable. And I imagine that from that neutral place, that's where you can have the capacity and the resiliency to have healing and to yes. feel your feelings. Uh, because you're not in the heightened of the the extreme high or the extreme low, and so you exactly. you're much more centered and grounded uh, yeah. and supported. Yes, yeah, that, yeah. I think um, I know that's a h- huge takeaway from this conversation for me. I really am, I'm going to use that question. I think all the time. Now. I love it. Great. <laughs> um, so, as a person who this is your work, um, mm-hmm. and I'm imagining that you're also probably a highly sensitive person. Yes. <laughs> How do you manage to move through this so that you're showing up for your clients, you are guiding them and supporting them through some of the hardest moments of their life, but you're also making sure that you're not re-traumatizing yourself? Mm-hmm. I think this is something so interesting. Like a lot of people ask me, isn't that so sad? And the interesting answer is that it's not, not at all sad. Like this sounds not to like make any of everybody's pain smaller or insignificant. But I really have this faith that, you know, like I said before, that we all have this, yeah, this inherent health, this inherent 
wholeness within us that even in the moments where we feel the most pain, we're still whole. So I'm never trying to fix anybody, meaning I am not pouring my energy into something I'm not able to do because you cannot fix another person. Mm-hmm. I am holding space and asking curious questions. I am, you know, facilitating energy healing. I am facilitating visualizations that will shift things on an energetic level. But I'm never like, this is not my place to fix anybody. I am a guide more than I am like a coach, I would almost say. Mm-hmm. So it is like really from this place, like I am staying in my own like health. I am really aware of my own um, really inner like core self that nobody can touch, that nothing can shift or manipulate or change or take away from. And so I really operate from this place. Like they have their unbreakable core and I have mine. And so there's not like this feeling of I energetically need to save them because I think this is really a dynamic that can be really harmful if there's like the victim savior Mm -hmm. hero kind of thing going because then it will just really be icky energetically. And so I really am aware that I stay in my own energetic center and I leave them in theirs and to really feel like, okay, highly sensitive. Okay, what do I need to do beforehand? How do I feel beforehand? Do I feel ungrounded? Do I feel that my needs are taken care of? And to really just make sure that I arrive uh, before a session, like before I even go in, in a really nourished way. So like I have eaten, I have had water, I have water ready. Like, you know, I really took care of myself. I went outside and did like all the things I needed to do in order to know and really feel my core self, that I'm stable and good and connected to the earth connected to what's above and to then go into a session like that. And then afterwards asking myself to like, what kind of care do I need right now? And then going with that and really trusting, trusting the process. I really have this like thing with trust Mm -hmm. that trusting myself and also trusting the divine, the higher power, the beloved to really take care of me too. And of them as well to never have this thing of, oh my God, I'm overextending myself. I am giving more than I can actually give. Yeah, I think that also, you know, those of us listening or me having this conversation, this is not my work, but there are, will be moments in my life where I am being called upon by a friend, a family member to show up for them in that moment. And so, so to, to also take some of those principles that you do in your work when mm-hmm. we're just helping and supporting people we know. Um, and I think that that knowledge that you're not trying to fix anyone and no one is actually even broken to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because that's where I think a lot of times someone shares something vulnerable. It, it doesn't even always have to be about grief. It could just be, you know, something, a weight that they're carrying. Yeah. And it feels like it's our responsibility to take it on and solve it for that person. And and that's not what that person needs and and we can't actually do that. So I think that that's an important reminder to those of us that that will at some point have to be confronted with this is yeah. to be grounded in our in ourselves and also going back to that that belief that grief is an invitation. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a much more, I think, empowering way oh, yeah. to look at it because it's not so scary that way. Mm-hmm. And, and so if someone, if you're being confronted with your own grief or somebody else's, to be able to take a step back and breathe and be curious and be gentle, but also trusting this, this common theme today, um, <laughs> that this is okay and that you can recover from this moment that you can carry on that the other person can. Mm-hmm. I think that's where you can have a much more supportive conversation. Yeah. It's kind of like this thing, like if you are with somebody who's grieving, like kind of the airplane thing, like putting your mask on first to like, if you feel like you are, for example, if you're in conversation or if you've been with somebody for a day and you're just like, you know, they don't want to eat, they don't want to go outside, they don't want to sleep, they just want to sit and cry or whatever. To me, maybe sometimes like checking with yourself, actually, I need food or I just need to like go take a bathroom break or I just need to have some like really something good that's like delicious to drink to like really make sure that like your basic needs are met. Because if you are totally dehydrated, if you are hangry, if you, you know, have not taken like a moment to just like listen to your body, like listen to your body's needs, that will just really be like for the other person that will not be any more nourishing if you, right. if you are also starving yourself. But you really, you know, when you take care of yourself, that really shows them that it's okay for them to take care of themselves too. And that like goes back to the whole permission giving, like, but being ourselves, but being like giving ourselves permission to take care of ourselves. We can give other people permission to take care of themselves. And sometimes, you know, if you are in a situation where you are with somebody a lot who's grieving and you feel like, okay, they don't, they say they're not hungry. I'm feeling really hungry. I'm going to make some food. I'm going to make some for them too, just in case they want something. Not to feel like they need to eat it, but just be like, you know what? Having like these spidey senses that they might want to eat something maybe later, just really give like this support, like this, not this obvious support of like, you need to eat, but to be like, you know, I put something in the fridge for you if you're ever hungry later. So to really give like yourself permission, them permission to just really be in that present moment with your body's needs. That's, I think, such a huge reminder. Um, And, and it again goes back to that, that permission and that trust Mm -hmm. and trusting that it's okay for you to take care of yourself um, because you can't fully show up for someone else if you are not fully showing up for yourself. Exactly. And then sometimes we just, you know, that other person might not want any food right now, or they might not think about opening the curtains and getting some sunshine. Yeah. But if they see you do it, they might be more inclined to follow your lead instead of having to think about what they need in that moment, which, mm-hmm. you know, it might, it might be a safer way for them to also start to process and start to heal or, or get out of their head for a second. Yeah. And I think this is this thing. Sometimes when we are in really, really deep grief, when we're like in the darkest night of the soul, we can sometimes really feel like we are forgetting how to be human. Mm. Somebody's just like, you know, we see them drinking a glass of water and we might just be like, you know what, let me try drinking some water, see how that feels. You know, being curious again to like, be like or be like, oh, they're going outside. Maybe I'll just open the front door just for a minute to see how it feels. And then to see, actually not for me. And then, you know, closing the door again mm-hmm. or like being like, can't drink or eat right now. And to be like, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I think that's huge, I think that insight that yeah we do we forget what it's like to be human 
And mm-hmm. so if someone else is modeling and we can copy along, yeah. um, that can be really powerful support that you can provide someone when yeah. you don't feel like you have the right thing to say. And obviously you can't fix it or take away their pain, mm-hmm. but just allowing yourself to be human so they can remember that they're human too. Exactly. And I think like the saying thing, like saying the right thing, I think that's what a lot of people like get caught up on. It's like this thing of, like, I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I'm not going to say anything. Sometimes, what can sometimes feel a little bit scary, but what can also feel really like, okay, good, I'm doing this right, is to just be like, hey, I'm not exactly sure what to say because I'm not exactly sure what you need right now. Mm-hmm. Some people, if you say, I am so sorry for your loss, that can like trigger this whole other thing. And they might just need to hear, I'm thinking of you. Right. And so to just really be curious, allow yourself to be curious, even in this hard situation of not knowing what to say, to just be like, hey, I really want to say something really supportive. I really want you to know I support you. What would feel the most supportive right now or the most neutral even? Right. Like that wouldn't trigger anything. So just really being like, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. I'm a little helpless. So, because it's easier to be, let the other person be human when we're human ourselves. Because in this grief moment when we're like, for example, if we're at a funeral, everybody's passing us by and saying, my condolences, I'm so sorry for your loss. It can feel so overwhelming because it's like this thing of, okay, I'm kind of dissociating because I can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Just imagine if somebody would stop and be like, I'm not exactly sure what to say. I'm feeling a little helpless and you don't need to fix it. But you know, I just wanted to know that I support you and just let me know how I can support you. And I can also suggest something if you feel like I have no idea how what would feel supportive to me right now. I can suggest something. You can just, you know, let me know how that feels. And I feel like that can really just be like, oh, like a breath, like a moment where you just feel like, okay, don't have to just say thank you, thank you, thank you, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm, thank you, I hear you. Yeah, I'm really sad he's gone or she's gone or this happened or that happened. Just really give space and create more of a, container of openness than this rigid way of having to do it. That I think is such a huge piece of advice for all of us because we do feel helpless as mm-hmm. as sort of the support system and we don't want to say the wrong thing. So we yeah. don't say anything or then we end up saying like the really wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just asking the person what they need because you you might think you know what they need. Like, oh, they need to be distracted. They need to eat something they need a hug but they might not need any of those things yeah yeah and I think this is like I've been this place so many times too with my clients where it's like okay they're just shared the like massive deeply painful tender story and then at the end I can like sometimes feel myself because this is like you know how we grew up to just say I'm so sorry Mm -hmm. but sometimes I just like you know most of the time there's like this moment where I'm like okay wait stop okay it's like how I say my to myself inside I'm just like okay stop and I really just ask this question, like, what would feel the most neutral, the most supportive right now that I could say? Because I really want to honor what you've just shared with me without triggering you any further. Just really be like, you know, it is about honoring. It is about respect. And so you just really combine this to just be like, okay, you know what? I don't know what you will need because I will never make that assumption. Right. I'm not you. I'm not walking in your shoes, not having this experience right now. So what do you need? How can I support you? And it allows both parties that space to breathe and, yeah. and be human together. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a great tool that I, I know I will take away from this episode and, and I'm certain that our listeners will too. Um, and so I think we could probably dig into this conversation forever um, because there's so many layers. Um, but I think this has been a really powerful starting place, at least for me um, and for anyone listening who is experiencing grief, has experienced grief. Um, it's a, that's a common emotion that we often don't know how to, to handle. Um, or we think we don't know how to handle it. And so to follow your lead and, and be tender and curious and this neutral thing has really blown my mind. Um, so I really am grateful for this conversation. Um, and I would love to wrap up with a few common questions that I like to ask all of my guests. Great. Um, that really some of them are, are light and quick fiery. Um, and then the others are really sort of on the theme of, of how we are rethinking things in our lives. Okay, great. Um, so the first question is, if you could go back and talk to your 15-year-old self, what would you tell her? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, oh wow. I've never thought about this. What would I tell her? Trust yourself. Mm. Yeah. That is such a such a powerful message because especially um i think so many of the guests that i've talked to when they think about their 15 year old self being a 15 year old girl in this world is oh, it yeah. feels like the last thing you can do is trust yourself yeah because everybody's telling you how to be or right. what to be and so just like this thing of like yeah trusting myself yeah that would have been really helpful right. yeah. such a, it would be yes it'd be such a beautiful message to receive mm-hmm. um, because then yeah you could just exhale and like okay yeah, yeah. i can trust myself mm-hmm. that changes everything mm-hmm. um what's a book that you love oh i love so many books mm. uh, <laughs> um Right now, I am rereading Women Who Run With the Wolves, and I love it. Mm, Such a good book. That's a book that's been on my bookshelf for quite some time, and I have never cracked it open, but it keeps coming up recently (laughs) with people posting about it or sharing about it, so... Yeah, it's like this book. Yeah, I just have to like get over the first 20 pages, and all of a sudden, I am... Because this was like my hurdle. I was like 20 pages. I was like, oh, this feels very like in-depth and like kind of hard. And now I'm like loving it. It's like mm. flowing and like, yeah. Great. Well, it's another, another sign for me to crack it open. Yes. Um, <laughs> what makes you smile even in the moments where you feel like you, it would be impossible for you to smile again? My dog. Mm. He's so hilarious sometimes. It's just, yeah. No matter how I feel, he will do something where I just cannot help but smile. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. And often... Yeah. I mean, I feel like our pets can really, they, obviously they, they are often very sensitive and they can sense mm-hmm. what we need even when we don't know what we need. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I feel like in those moments, my dog for sure is, will do yeah. like the weirdest thing um, or even not do anything, but, but just in a way that makes me smile. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and the last question is, um, so the name of this podcast is Rethinking It, and it's really about rethinking all of our belief systems mm-hmm. um, and the stories that we told. So is there something that you thought wouldn't or couldn't change about yourself that actually did change? Mm. 
That's a good question. I think the biggest belief that I realized that I could change is the thing that, how to put this? It feels like a lot of times we get to a place where we feel like, oh my God, it's our fault that we ended up this way because law of attraction or whatever, and we cannot get out of it no matter how much we try to fix ourselves. And this belief that if something is wrong in our lives or is going wrong in our lives, and that's our fault, changing that and realizing how much our families play into that, how much epigenetics play a role in this, inherited family trauma, inherited family grief play a role in our, how our lives play out, that really changed everything for me. That like really took the pressure of myself. Like this, this thing of like, if there's something wrong with you, you caused it. And so you must be bad. Like changing that belief into really knowing like, hey, wait a second, maybe it's not mine that I'm carrying or that it's like happening in my life right now or anything like that really felt like, holy schmoly, like this is changing my life. Like this yeah. is really if that like changed everything for me when I was like, no, wait a second. There's signs that's backing this up. There's like, you know, energetic stuff that's backing this up. Like it is not always me if something's going wrong in my life. That is is a really important, I think, mindset shift. Yeah. Then you're no longer the enemy of your yeah. own life. Exactly. Because if you're thinking everything is my fault and I'm not good enough and I'm such a failure and how dare I, mm-hmm. then, then how can you even trust yourself, be curious, take care of yourself? You're just, you're at war yeah. with yourself. So exactly. that, yes. that's a really important reframe. Yeah. Um, well, Lisa, thank you so much for having this conversation. Thank you for the work you do. I think it's so important um, because these are just not conversations we're having enough in this honest, vulnerable way that really allows us the space to ride the wave instead of just moving through it as a transaction. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really inspired by this work and this conversation. Thank you so much. I had such a great time talking to you and it was just great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Rethinking It. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe, if you wouldn't mind rating it or leaving a short review. It's the number one way that other people can find the podcast. So if you're finding value in it, along with sharing it with your friends and family, strangers in line at the grocery store, um, it would be really great if you could subscribe to the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. 